Chapter Twenty One of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. Bliss, with some difficulty, disentangled the car from the crowd of surrounding vehicles and drove out onto the Newmarket Road. Then he brought the car slowly to a standstill. "'If you could just give me an idea of where you would like to go,' he ventured. "'I can't think yet. Suggest somewhere yourself.' "'Well, madam, there's Newmarket straight ahead, uh, London behind us, and Cambridge, I suppose, round to the left,' Blist said. His passenger raised her veil and looked at him. "'You can decide,' she announced." Bliss was somewhat uh, taken aback. Oh, were you thinking of an hour or two's run? he inquired. Don't be absurd. I'm going to tour about the country for a week or two. Bliss was dumbfounded. Am I coming? Of course you are. Who do you suppose is going to drive the car? Bliss looked disconsolately at the large steamer trunk strapped on behind. I am not wishing to complain, madam, but I think that someone might have told me. I have no change of clothes, and only an overcoat, owing to your thoughtfulness. Of course, they ought to have told you, she admitted. They didn't, and I am afraid you must make the best of it. Are you married? Not at present, Bliss confessed politely. Then you had better send a telegram to your home or lodgings for some clothes— or if you need to buy anything, I will pay for it. In the meantime, where shall we go? Why don't you smoke? I thought all chauffeurs smoked. Not as a rule, whilst we drive our employers, madam, Bliss explained, but if I have your permission. He produced a packet of cigarettes and lit one. The girl sat and watched him. Well, she asked, aren't you going to suggest anywhere? Bliss considered the problem gravely. "'I believe it is quite a pleasant run to Norwich,' he said. "'Fine old cathedral city. A good hotel.' "'Why couldn't you say so at first? she interrupted. "'We will go to Norwich.' Bliss drove the car back through Newmarket and took the Norwich road. She proposed stopping at a telegraph office on his account, but Bliss shook his head. "'To tell the truth, madam,' he said, I have so few clothes that it is not worth while sending for them. If you would kindly advance me a portion of my week's salary, I will buy a few necessaries when we reach Norwich. Just as you like, of course, she replied, eyeing him curiously. Do you mind if I talk? Not so long as the roads are good, Bliss assured her. You must forgive me if I seemed rude last night. You were a little preemptory. I was all worked up. I am sorry. Tell me, what is your name, and how long have you been with the Sun Motor Company? My name is Ernest Bliss, he told her. I had a job with the Sun people some months ago, uh, and they turned me off, as I told you. I took up a fare in the street, and he gave me a bad five-pound note for the job. Then they couldn't find a driver last night. Well, you're a very good one, she observed. Have you been a chauffeur long? No, I used to drive myself. I mean, I was always interested in motor cars, he replied. We'll stop here for luncheon, 
she ordered suddenly. Bliss swung in under the low archway of an old-fashioned inn. "'Order what you like, please,' she said, as she descended from the car. "'I shall be ready to start again in an hour.' Bliss lunched in the kitchen with an exceedingly good appetite, wrote a letter to Francis, and spent a few minutes going over the car. Punctually at the expiration of the hour, the young lady reappeared, and they started off almost at once. "'Get your lunch all right?' she inquired. "'Quite all right, madam, thank you,' Bliss answered. "'Where did you have it?' "'In the kitchen,' Bliss told her, with a twinkle in his eye. She leaned a little forward and looked into his face. "'Are you used to having your meals in the kitchen?' "'Get them wherever I can,' Bliss replied cheerfully. "'It really doesn't matter if one is hungry. The great thing is to have an appetite.' "'Are you one of those foolish young men,' she asked, "'who lose their money racing and gambling, and then have to earn their own living?' "'Something like that,' Bliss admitted. "'Anyhow, it was betting that placed me in my present position.' "'Then you ought to be ashamed of yourself.' she said. "'Well, I'm not so sure,' Bliss protested, with a smile at the corners of his lips. "'You see, you don't know the whole story.' "'And I don't want to,' the young lady replied. "'You can smoke if you care to. I'm going to sleep.' She kept her word, and they were almost to Norwich before she awoke. Bliss drove to the Maid's Head Hotel. "'Shall you require the car again today, madam?' he asked. "'Certainly not,' she said. "'Come for orders at half-past ten in the morning. "'Here is some money for anything you may want.' She handed him two pounds, which Bliss, after a moment's hesitation, accepted. "'Thank you very much, madam,' he said. "'I will be round at ten-thirty sharp.' Bliss strolled out into the city, bought a few necessaries, went to bed early, and took a long night's rest.' Next morning he was shown into the coffee-room, where the young lady was finishing her breakfast. She glanced at the clock as he entered. It was exactly half-past ten. "'You are very punctual,' she said. "'My box is packed, and I am quite ready to start. You can bring the car round at once.' Bliss did as he was ordered, and a few minutes later they glided out of the courtyard of the inn. "'Where to now, madam?' Bliss asked. "'I wish you would think of somewhere. I have no plans,' she answered. "'Do you like the sea?' he inquired. "'Or do you prefer another cathedral city? There are Ely and Peterborough, not so very far away. Or if you care for a seaside place, there's Cromer.' "'We'll go to Cromer.' "'Only an hour's run,' Bliss remarked. "'Well, we can see what the place is like,' she said and if I like it, I will stay for a day or two. I hated Norwich. I'm sorry, madam, Bliss regretted politely. They were silent for some little time. Then she turned abruptly towards him. I will tell you why I hated it, she explained. I suppose people don't understand a girl travelling about alone. Look at me. Do I look as though I wanted adventures? Bliss turned his head. For the first time he realised that his employer was really a very handsome young woman. 
Her figure was good, her features were strong, though a little masculine. She had dark eyes inclined to be a little narrow, but distinctly attractive. Bliss had a curious feeling that she was trying to look her best. "'Not in the least,' he assured her politely. "'I suppose people don't understand a woman going about unprotected,' she repeated. "'I dress as quietly as possible. I look at no one. But the same thing happens everywhere. At Norwich it was perfectly hateful. Two men stared at me in the coffee-room all the time and followed me out into the street. Another enterprising person actually invited me to go to a picture-palace with him.' Bliss nodded sympathetically not quite understanding the drift of her remarks. He felt there was nothing he could say. "'I'm so sorry to intrude upon your spare time,' she went on. "'But I should be glad if you would have dinner with me this evening, wherever we may stay.' Bliss started. "'But, madam,' he protested, "'I have no evening clothes.' "'Wear what you have on,' she replied. Bliss looked down at himself doubtfully. "'If you think it suitable, madam.' "'The most suitable thing is to obey my orders,' she declared tartly. End of chapter 21 Chapter 22 Bliss drove up to one of the hotels near the sea, and they lunched together in the coffee-room. Afterwards, at her invitation, Bliss escorted his employer along the cliffs until they came to a sheltered seat. "'Will you sit down, please?' she said. "'I want to talk to you.' Bliss did so, though he was conscious of a growing feeling of discomfort. There was something about his companion, her manner of life, her unusual attitude towards him, and the general vagueness of their proceedings, which he found it difficult to comprehend. "'I'm going to talk about myself,' she announced abruptly. "'You seem sympathetic. Perhaps you are not.' Do you mind listening? I'm honoured, madam, he replied. I was born at that house in Newmarket, she began. My father made a great deal of money. Everyone knew he was going to leave the business to my brother and most of the money to me. Frankly, do you think I'm good-looking? Bliss fell into her mood and looked at her critically. Yes, he said, as though he had given the matter the most careful consideration. I should say you are most certainly good-looking. So all the men who came there used to think, she went on. I came back from boarding-school when I was eighteen years old. There were always men about my home, trainers, jockeys, owners. They all seemed the same to me, all about the same type. I hated them all. I thought them simply a lot of brutes. And the greatest brute of all, the man who has made me hate his sex more than anyone, is my brother's partner, Sam Brownlee, the man you saw. He has spoilt my brother, ruined him. I cannot live there because he makes it impossible for me. That seems too bad, Bliss murmured sympathetically. I don't know where to live, she continued. I have sixty thousand pounds, and I don't know what to do with it. I've tried living with an old aunt down at Salisbury. I suppose we shall end up our tour there. It's hatefully dull, nothing to do, and not a soul to speak to. I haven't a girlfriend, and I should feel a perfect idiot if I took a paid chaperone about with me. 
I've told you all this because I don't want you to think that I'm quite mad. Do you mind me being a little unusual, my making a rather unusual proposal? She stopped abruptly. The hardness had gone from her face, and her tone had become more appealing. Bliss became more and more embarrassed. "'What I would like,' she went on rather hurriedly, "'is for you to allow me to buy you whatever you want, and you to have your dinner with me every evening and come out with me afterwards. I want a watchdog. I'm sorry if you don't like the idea. It is quite unusual. But then the circumstances are unusual.' motoring is the only thing i care about and i love touring you are the only person i have seen for a long time whom i feel i could trust and who wouldn't be likely to misunderstand bliss turned round and faced her i am so sorry he said rather regretfully but i could not let you buy me clothes if you wouldn't mind stopping at the smaller places sometimes i should be delighted to have dinner with you and take you where you wish afterwards. She shrugged her shoulders. Very well, then. We will try that, she assented, a little ungraciously. For the next few weeks life became almost a holiday. Bliss, recalling some of the hardships of his recent situations, enjoyed himself thoroughly. They toured around the country, stopping mostly at small places, and gradually the slight hardness and restraint wore away from his companion's manner. Quite easily they drifted into a pleasant intimacy. By degrees, however, Bliss became conscious of a growing feeling of uneasiness. His employer had become more light-hearted, and notwithstanding an entire absence of self-conceit, he could not help perceiving that she was deriving a great deal of pleasure from the expedition itself and from his companionship. She took his arm one night when they stood on the bridge at Tewkesbury, and the next morning he brought her a telegram, sent by himself to himself. "'I am so sorry,' he announced. "'I shall have to leave you this evening.' She had been in the act of stepping into the car. For a moment or two she stood quite still. The colour went out of her cheeks. The hand which grasped the rail trembled a little. "'Leave me,' she repeated. "'What about the car? What can I do without you?' "'I will telephone to the Sun Motor Company,' he suggested, "'and ask them to send another driver down to wherever we might stop tonight. Then I can go back by train.' "'Couldn't you stay one more day?' she begged. Then you could leave me at Salisbury and take the car back. He hesitated. Perhaps he was deceived by the apparent carelessness of her tone. I dare say I could manage that, he said, if it would be more convenient. She stepped into the car then, and, during the whole of the morning, she scarcely spoke a word. That evening, however, she seemed to recover her spirits, although she was much quieter than usual. Bliss escaped from the dining-room early, and when she came out, prepared for their usual walk, she found him dressed in overalls, and with the bonnet of the car off. She came over and stood by his side. Her manner had altogether lost its note of masculinity. She seemed even a little nervous. "'Couldn't you do that in the morning?' she asked. 
without looking at him. They have just told me of such a pretty walk. He shook his head, his eyes fixed upon the revealed machinery of the car. It's almost half a day's job, he told her. I shall have to work hard all the evening to get her right as it is. She still lingered by his side, although for a few moments she remained silent. Bliss grasped an oil rag in his hand and was suddenly immensely interested in the float of the carburetor. "'We could start a little later in the morning,' she said softly. Bliss shook his head again. "'I must stick to it, now I've begun it, and a job of this sort wants doing straight away, or it gets worse.' She turned abruptly on her heel and left him. Bliss waited until she was out of sight, then he sat down on the step of the car and wiped the perspiration from his forehead. "'Time I got back,' he muttered. "'Too bad to pull the poor old thing about when she's going so well, but here goes.' He worked upon some imaginary defect in the wiring, and saw no more of his employer until he brought the car round to the inn at nine o'clock the following morning. "'To Salisbury, I suppose?' he asked. "'I've looked up the route. Quite good roads all the way.' She took her seat by his side without replying. She was more closely veiled than usual, and she leaned back in her place as though tired. They lunched together in the middle of the day, almost in silence. Bliss, as they reached their journey's end, became conscious of an immediate sense of relief. "'I expect I was making a fool of myself,' he reflected, glancing towards his companion. Perhaps, after all, she was simply thinking him ungrateful. He turned to talk to her, but she answered him only in monosyllables. Then, at last, he pointed to where the spire of Salisbury Cathedral was dimly visible in the far distance. "'The end of our journey,' he exclaimed. "'We shall be there in half an hour.' "'Stop,' she ordered. He pulled the car up at once. They were at the top of a hill with a long stretch of road, empty of any traffic, before them. She deliberately raised her veil and looked at him. "'So this is the end of our little expedition,' she said. "'I've enjoyed it very much,' Bliss declared. "'I shall never forget your kindness.' "'It has not been a matter of kindness at all,' she assured him. "'For the first time since I was left alone I have known what it is not to feel lonely. I am afraid. I hate to think it is all over.' "'It has been ripping,' Bliss admitted, looking steadfastly along the road. "'A real holiday for me, I can assure you.' She leaned forward in her place and forced him to look at her. "'Need we finish?' she asked. "'I'm afraid we must,' he answered gravely. "'The girl I am engaged to will be getting impatient for me to return, and I want to see her too.' She looked at him for a moment without flinching. Then she leaned back once more, and her fingers trembled with her veil. "'Drive on, please,' she said. End of chapter 22